Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us today. A little later in the show, we're going to catch up with Paul Eisenstein, the editor of the Detroit Bureau com. He is just back from the computer or consumer electronic show in Las Vegas, which has become this wonderful preview of the technology that we will see in just a few weeks at the North American International Auto Show. We're going to talk about how technology is taken over our cars in ways that we might not even have imagined five or ten years ago. So stay tuned for that segment. It'll get started at about half past the hour. But first, I have a confession to make. I'm one of those people now who is absolutely dependent upon and mesmerized by technology. And I mean to a disturbing degree. My phone is always in my hand. And in fact, when I sleep at night, the phone is actually next to my head. It's gotten to the point where everyone around me has had to say, at some point, can't you just put that thing down? maybe just for a minute? And the answer, sadly, is no. I don't feel like I have complete control of my impulses anymore. The phone, or the technology that drives the phone, has really rewired my brain and made me completely dependent on it. But if that's true for me, a man in his late 40s who didn't grow up with all of these things, what effect is this all having on my children? Or on yours? I see them being affected in the same way, unable to unplug or detach from technology. And I've begun to think, what's this doing to their brains? For sure, it's changing them. But is that happening in a good way? Or is it happening in a dangerous way? Or is it a little of both? That's where we want to begin the conversation today with this idea of the way that technology is changing our children's brains in addition to our own. And joining us to talk about that is Diane Levin. She is a clinical professor of applied human development at Boston University's Wheelock College. Diane Levin, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you. So Even though we're talking about a potentially depressing topic. <laughs> I, I don't know if it's depressing or energizing and exciting or, <laughs> or all of those things. And I guess I'm going to be dependent on you rather than the technology this morning to, to help me understand that. Mm-hmm. We'll uh, try to make it be both. <laughs> right. That's right. Uh, so let's start here. How is digital technology changing the way our kids Think. How is it changing their brains? Is it in the sort of obvious ways that we can see when we interact with them? Or is it, is it deeper than that? Is there more going on? Well, my work focuses especially on younger children. And I look at both the content they're getting and what, what it teaches them about the world and what it's like and how it works, as well as the whole process by which they interact with the world, the kinds of how they solve problems, how they play, what they get into, you know, what they, how they use materials. And I think um, their involvement with media and technology really can affect both profoundly because, one, they get more and more information about the world from screens, 
from films, from TV, from video games, from seeing things on screens rather than directly interacting with the world. And even something, and then there's the whole process by which they um, interact with the world. They learn by pushing buttons, they see what happens rather than trying things out themselves. And we know that young children um, learn about the world by actually physically doing things, seeing how when you stack two blocks on each other, how they fall over, and how you can move the blocks around to get them to balance and work. And that's how they learn, call it physical knowledge. That's how they start learning about gravity. That's how they start learning about shapes. That's how they start learning about their relationship to objects and how they control things. And when they get more and more involved in pushing buttons, even, you know, sucking your thumb instead or pushing a button in the crib, um, you know, learning to suck your thumb to feel better versus pushing a button to get all kinds of lights to flash. Hmm. All of that affects what children learn about the world, how it works, how they affect it. And the more, um, the more two-dimensional experiences they have, when they're young, the more I worry about them not getting the foundation they need for then getting more involved in 2D after they've developed a more concrete foundation. And at the same time, that 2D interaction is not just limited to pushing a button on a screen, for instance. There, there right. are pretty complex things that go on on these screens for small children. And and I, I want to give you an sure. example of something I've noticed with some of my friends who have much younger kids than I do at this point. The, the, the swiftness with which young children learn the idea of swiping, right? The mm-hmm. swiping a mm-hmm. screen. Uh, yeah. It's almost I mean, instinctive. That's, that's, uh, and so that's that's more than just 2D thinking, right? That's a That's a whole way of thinking of the world, I guess. Right, but it still is is getting a two-dimensional experience rather than a real-world experience. It still is not seeing how um, how you can control... I mean, one of the things in development we talk about is concrete learning and how that's a foundation to gradually being able to deal with more abstract things. And if you have a, a kind of lack of development in the concrete world, you won't do as well in the more abstract thinking world when you don't have all the concrete things. And, you know, they kids can learn things from swiping and seeing what happens, but they'll learn more if they have a more solid basis in the real world for making sense of some of that. Mm. So that, so that it's better that they have both or starting with the concrete and then going to the more, the more swiping world than the real world. Yeah. Uh, talk about uh, some of the most interesting technologies, I guess, that we see that are bearing down on our children right now. Well, I, I haven't been keeping up on all the latest technology. What I do more is interview teachers, for instance, about the problems they have trying to get kids to play in their classrooms anymore. When children enter school, and how when they put out blocks, you know, kids will poke them and say, what do they do? <laughs> you know, that, when they're talking about three-year-olds. You know, that the fact that those are the kinds of issues I work with. I try to help teachers figure out how do you help kids get interested in blocks when they seem so boring because they don't have lights flashing and make noises <laughs> and do all kinds of exciting things that are all very super fit, you know, that, that just are not dealing with the world. How do you get children to talk to each other and interact with each other and learn, 
you know, how to influence each other instead of influencing the screen. Right. Those are the kinds of things that I really focus on rather than studying every new change in the technology. So, so what are teachers telling you about, about how profound that effect is in the classroom? Are, are they really struggling with kids who just have not had that interaction, that 3D world yeah, I mean, interaction? They, yes, exactly. I mean, there's a range in most classrooms, some kids more than others. Um, and, you know, I try to help them learn how to use the children who are more actively engaged in the real world to kind of become leaders, um, metaphorically anyway, to help create quality block play that help less engaged children learn how to become more engaged, for instance. Um, so, I mean, teachers need to do more, like, for instance, teachers need to do more facilitating of play than they I'm a former kindergarten teacher where we had a lot of play, and I did facilitate and help kids get further along with their play and learn new things from their play and learn skills that we think of, you know, um, as important in the foundations for for academics. Um, But teachers now um, often need to be more skillful at helping children become good players so they can develop those early academic skills through play. Um, They... um, because, again, as I said, for many years I've taught the course, The Meaning and Development of Play. And in that course, I always taught how that's a foundation for more, more academic learning. And But now, you know, I get students in the course, often graduate students who've been teaching, who say, but my kids don't want to play with blocks. Um, and it's not that blocks is the one thing they have to use, but kids, you know, when they go out on the playground, they say they're bored. You know, but how do you help children when they don't have those experiences, become more um, engaged in the real world. Because if they can't do that, they're not developing social skills. They're not developing all... I mean, I've said this already, but... um, So we can do a lot to help them develop those skills. It doesn't mean they're lost if they, you know, forever if they haven't developed them. But we first have to recognize we have to help them develop some interest they really want to do that's not involved with the screen. We can help parents develop rituals and routines with their children that aren't screen-based. For instance, when I work with parents, I will help them think about, well, maybe you can help your five-year-old start setting the table when you're making dinner, and it can become a really nice family activity. You can develop other little family rituals and routines that gets your child engaged, connecting to the real world, and maybe once they're doing the table setting, they'll want to start helping to clean up the table and helping them just learn how to get engaged in the world instead of pushing buttons on screens while you're setting, while you're making dinner and then while you're cleaning up. And how to, um, you know, that's just one example, but how to do that in a way that really helps kids get interested in being young children again, being interested and seeing that it can be fun to count out four forks or six forks or whatever they need. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Diane Levin. She's a clinical professor of applied human development at Boston University's Wheelock College. Uh, She is a specialist in things uh, about uh, young children and their development, uh, their learning, their behavior, and their play. We're talking about the influence of technology 
on all of those things. The ways in which the screens that our children now have uh, influence the way that they're learning. Are they opening up new worlds for our kids and teaching them things that uh, when we were kids we couldn't learn because we didn't have that technology? Or are they overshadowing classic forms of learning, classic exposure to the world around them that helps with early learning. Uh, If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us how you handle technology with your children, with your young children, maybe with your teenagers. Are you somebody who holds them back from exposure to technology and pushes books and blocks and all of the things in the physical world that help children learn and form their brains? Or are you somebody who's really embracing the idea that technology makes learning different and you think maybe it's making it better? Uh, Give us a call at 313-577-1019. That's the number always on the phones here, 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will try to work your comments into the conversation. Uh, Dr. Levin, I want to ask you about this idea that you can hold children out of the world of technology, that that you can pull them back from it. Uh, Is that possible uh, in this this era? Two things. I want to mention one thing first. And that is, I want your listeners to know about an organization that I founded about 20 years ago with other early childhood educators to help parents deal with some of these issues we're talking about. And it's called Truth, Teachers Resisting Unhealthy Children's Entertainment. And it's not saying that all children's entertainment is unhealthy, but which thinking about which is, it's, we have a website called truceteachers.org. And we prepare materials to help parents choose toys that are quality toys, to help them do interesting play activities, to help them choose quality media, to help them use books in exciting ways with children. So I just wanted to recommend to your readers, of young, your listeners of young children, to think about going to that website because it can be really, really, parent, the, the parents who have used it tell us it really is mm. helpful to even have a half hour a day when they do something with their kids that doesn't involve screens, which can be a really nice way to deal with some of the issues we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and go ahead and answer that question about uh, holding your children away from technology. Is that possible yeah. or is it even recommended? Well, I, I mean, I don't advocate no technology at all. I recommend, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends, uh, they used to say no technology until age two or three. Now they say no more than an hour of technology screens. Um, and they say that because, again, it's very seductive. When you're used to getting zap, 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 <laughs> the real world can feel very boring. And so many parents I interview say, we started with just one show and then a little more and then a little more, and that seemed to be all my child wanted. And they were so happy, and suddenly it just got out of control. So we need to think about how to do it in very um, carefully planned ways, like it's this show we're going to see every day at this time in this way, so that it's not a little bit more and then a little bit more. Or we're going to use this um, app in this way, at this time, before dinner, and that's how we're going to do it. And when the child starts asking for more, saying, well, you know, let's talk about what we, what we won't be able to do 
if you do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you see that show and let's think about, um, you know, we don't want to do, do more screens because we want to be able to play that game after dinner before bed. Um, we need our time together so that kids think about more, become more intentional and gradually think more even when they're young about it. Um, often for many kids, parents who are setting limits, their child will go to a friend's house, and that's what they'll do the whole time they're there is be involved with screens <laughs> of some sort, and then they come home and say, oh, I did this, I did that, now I want to do it too. So it's not as if we say, no, never, and we don't want to have wars in the household all the time. It's working it out and saying, well, do you, you know, if a child comes home like that, well, you know why we don't do that all the time? Because we like to do this thing that you do, and we like to do that thing that you do. And we want to make sure, but if you want to watch that show, let's do it every night, every Tuesday night after. Or let's choose two nights a week when we do that and two nights a week when we play our games. I mean, thinking about how to do it in a way that, again, keeps the family connected and doesn't just lure everybody to screens and away from each other or children away from the real world. Hmm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's start with Joe in Auburn Hills. Joe, what's on your mind? Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me on. Sure. Um, I just wanted to mention I have, I have three young nephews, and they love their iPads. They, they swipe and press on everything, but I think it's really helped out um, when my sister bought them drones and some remote control cars so that they could meld both messing around on the screen as well as the physical world and interact with each other. So I think technology is going to come along where maybe uh, the, the two the two things will, will mix together. That's a, that's a really interesting uh, mm-hmm. example, the idea of drones, which is something that uh, one of my children at least is really interested in and the way that, that the technology on the screen, right, on the phone, manipulate something in in the real world and that's that the, as joe points out maybe that's a a, a a compromising way i guess to to sort of indulge the technology use it for something that's that's real mm-hmm. that's nice i mean thinking about ways to keep kids connected to the world to find ways to feel more powerful in the world have interesting things to help them um you know do that with so technology that's why i'm saying all technology isn't bad we need to look at it more in a context and think about what is what is it in, enabling children to do. But again, if that's all, if kids go outside and that's all they do when they're outside, then that can become a problem too. Mm-hmm. So again, diversity. But when they first get it, of course, that's what they're going to want to do for a long time. But you know, I I try to help parents think about having a conversation. So. All month, that's what you've wanted to do outside with your friends. But you used to love to do this and this, and you haven't done it for a long time. What do you want? You know, let's think about a way that you can try to do both, because I don't want you to lose this thing you used to love to do so much. Yeah. Now, yeah. finding ways to help kids have balance. And they can't do that kind of multiple complex thinking without our help. And so, you know, that they, you know, that developmentally, their thinking isn't as complex, but we can help them with it. And then as they get older, it helps them do more of that kind of planning and coordinating for their own lives as well. Yeah, yeah. Joe, I really appreciate the call uh, and, and, the, yeah. and the comments. Uh, let's go to Tiffany in Rochester Hills. Tiffany, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thanks for having me. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a mother of two. I have a nine-year-old. I have a three-year-old. And we have seen an absolute direct correlation between the number of hours that they have with screen time and how bad they behave and how negative they get. 
So um, <laughs> we have implemented something in our household that um, really encourages a lot of creativity, and that is not giving them any screen time for extremely long periods of time so that they are forced to be bored <laughs> and that they have to choose something unique with their um, many toys and their brains and just natural creativity, and they are so much happier. Hmm. <laughs> and you're not seeing a you're not seeing a technology backlash from them. They're not mad at you for having snatched the screens away. Oh, of course they are. <laughs> <laughs> so they have the bad uh, attitude either first. way. <laughs> yeah, but then they find something really fun to do that they forgot that they had, and it just becomes a much better um, home environment, and our interactions are a lot more positive. It's just better for everyone. Mm-hmm. There's a whole range in way, a range of ways in which parents can do that, and sometimes we do have to go cold turkey and just say we need to take a break. Here's, you know, I'm really worried about this, this, and this, and let's think of something you can start with, and then and let's see where it goes. And you know, often they'll need our help. Often it's interesting. Nine and three—that's a big age gap, and so I bet the responses and how how they've built up from the ban have been different, but but realizing, you know, that at different ages, it's still an issue, that we still need to do things like that and find ways to do it at a variety of ages is really important. And fourth boredom, again, um, children, when they're bored, often can have come up with a lot of resources if they've developed them in the past and have something to use. Yeah, forced, forced boredom is an interesting phrase. Uh, and and it reminds me of when I was a kid uh, being told to, you know, turn off the TV, which was the, the thing that the, the, the real sort of technology uh, interference in, in my childhood, there wasn't mm-hmm. a whole lot more, but being told to turn it off and sit and think, right? Uh, just sit mm-hmm. there and think. Don't have You don't have to have something to do or go grab a book or whatever you want to uh, do that's not technology and that that idea that that leads you to the kind of thinking that maybe technology doesn't inspire or can't uh, I think is is not necessarily a new idea but again uh, with so much technology around our kids now it takes on another another dimension exactly yeah. Tiffany thanks uh, very much for the call and the comments let's go to Sharon in Clinton Township Sharon welcome to Detroit today Oh, hi. Good morning. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm so glad uh, that this is coming up. One, I think that there needs to be more research done on brain neurology of kids being either on technology or off technology. More brain neurology needs to happen. I happen to be a psychotherapist, so I'm very interested in how children learn. Children learn by doing. Hmm. I, I also see that there are millennials that will sit together, five or six of them in a group. They don't talk to each other. They're playing games eight hours a day. <laughs> that is not good. That is a waste of time. Yeah. Sharon, I appreciate the call and the, and the comments. And uh, I think there are a lot of parents who, who can commiserate with, with all of those dilemmas, right? How much time? What are they getting out of that time, uh, Doctor Levin? Levin, I've yeah. I've heard uh, I've heard a lot of, or I've read a lot about how this this social aspect of technology now 
is one of the things that maybe people think is 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 okay is better for kids yeah. the, the the idea that they're not just sitting there by themselves that often they're interacting with other kids through right. technology I think um you know it is harder for there used to be an outdoor play culture kids did used to have more spontaneous ways to develop social skills but I think um, to think that technology can be a substitute, well, given what we know about development, is just a misnomer. It can't. It, it does. It's, you have to kind of be engaged with other people and other children to really work things out and come up with your own problems together. But um, also, I mean, children learn by doing. They learn by trying things out. Having, you know, you have a ball and I want the ball, and I and we're three years old and I grab the ball from you and you hit me. And I start to cry and, you know, an adult comes over and you go to time out um, because you hit. I mean, the, another, another adult might help you work out what you could do next time I take the ball so that you don't have to hit me and help me figure out next time I want the ball what I can do. And that's, you know, to help to try to play with you. And that's how we gradually learn how to interact with each other in the world. And I've come to coined a term for what I've heard from so many teachers and parents, but especially teachers of children who are coming to school with less and less social skills and more and more, you know, nasty behavior. I call it compassion deficit disorder. You know, children don't grow up with compassion. They learn about it from interacting with others, seeing how they respond, gradually learning how to adapt their behavior, getting more skillful at doing the positives and and that comes from caring about how others react. And they start out egocentric, but they gradually learn how to respond to others. And so compassion deficit disorder comes when you don't have enough interactions with others, don't have enough um, opportunities to, to learn about it. And when kids get to schools now, with the No Child Left Behind and more emphasis on teaching to the test that we've had, they have less and, op- less, and less opportunities at school often from very young ages, to learn that as well. Even they haven't been getting it home and then they get to school and they don't have as many opportunities either. So I do worry about um, the social skills that children develop. I do worry about, um, yes, we, I mean, the, we do need more brain research, but the brain research does, um, we do know enough to know that the brain is affected by what children are doing. And when they're passively engaged in watching a screen, their mind's going to develop differently than when they're actively doing things. Okay. Diane Levin, clinical professor of applied human development at Boston University's Wheelock College. It was really great to have you here for this conversation. Well, thank you for today. covering this topic. Absolutely. Up next, we're going to talk with auto industry analyst Paul Eisenstein about the technology in our cars and what to expect from this year's upcoming North American International Auto Show. Also, don't forget, if you have to miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. You can download and subscribe to Detroit Today. Then you can take us with you and listen whenever you are ready. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Thank you.